Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. We pray, O Lord, give us your Holy Spirit that we would be fully molded by your scriptures that speak authoritatively to us and by your Son. Father, give us the image of Christ renewed within us as we come into contact with the reality of who we are. Spirit, illumine and enliven us in Jesus here this morning. Father, would we know the great love that you have for us as we've just been singing and the love that you call, Father, us to share with others. So would we meet you in faith and gladness here? We pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. Even though it's pretty rainy right now, fall is in the air and brings back memories of the start of school for me. My kids even occasionally are going to Friday Night Lights football games here in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs. Just to fill in a little bit of backstory on me, when I was in high school, there was a little bit of a cold war that would occur between the basketball team and the football team. You had basketball players and then you had football players. I would go back and forth a little bit, and both of those teams, the basketball team and the football team, were moderately successful, but they had very, very different styles and went about it in different ways. So, for example, you had the football team, and if you are in high school football or have played high school football, I'm sure that this is not your program, but it was mine. Football players, kind of meatheads, boorish crude, would bully the nerds, be mean to their girlfriends. They had girlfriends. (laughs) Basketball players, on the other hand, were kind of like philosopher kings. They had sophistication, style, elan, And it was a cold war, not a warm war or a hot war, but sometimes insults would be traded back and forth. And the football players specialized in four-letter words. They're easy. Oh, and I should tell you, you're probably wondering, I was a basketball player. (laughs) 
So in your mind, you're thinking, the way that Jim is setting this up, was he football or was he basketball? I, I don't know. But here's an exchange between me and a guy named Shubes. I won't give you his full name. You'll have to listen to the podcast for that, where you'll get his full name, social security number, Instagram, Facebook profiles, LinkedIn, names of his children. So Shubes told me one day, anger. I didn't actually have a first name until college. So anger, you're just a four-letter word, four-letter word, four-letter word, four-letter word. Fair. But then I came back and told him, Shubes, and this is what I want us to focus on here at the beginning of the sermon. Do you know what you are? I said, you're a waste of carbon. Let's unpack that a little bit. So you may or you may not know, and going back to high school, high school biology, so we are carbon-based life forms in complex combinations. I, I actually, I, I majored in science, and so I can tell you more, but I, but I won't. So, so we're carbon-based life forms, complex combinations. And when I told Shubes that he was a waste of carbon, what I meant by that was, Shubes, you are a net negative. And for the carbon with which you have been entrusted, you are doing nothing positive with it to the extent that our cosmos would be better off if those bespoke carbon molecules would be distributed in other places as opposed to making up little shuby right over there right now. So, waste of carbon. And you might be wondering, oh, how, how would it feel to, to be told that? Well, let's actually go in that direction. Uh, are you a waste of carbon? Or am I? Think about it. What are we doing with what we've been given? And little did I know at the time, but even though I wasn't taking Jesus seriously then, there was some theological acumen behind the waste of, comment, the waste of carbon comment. Because if you think about it, from the creation horizon, theologically speaking of the Bible, God has created us, and we have been entrusted with carbon. We have been entrusted with life. What are we doing with it? with what God has given to us. And I need to say, some of my best friends were football players, and some of my worst friends were actually basketball players. So there, there is bad people on both sides, let's say, but good ones as well. What are we doing with what God has given to us? What is growing within us, and how? Are we adding value, or are we wasting? Would we even know? So we're continuing from Colossians chapter 1 here this morning. And as Paul gives a thanksgiving for the Colossian church, he is speaking to and giving thanks for a community of followers of Jesus founded upon the gospel. And as Paul is giving thanks for them, we see that they are not adding negative value. There is something good growing in their midst and it looks a lot like God's plan for us, for human flourishing, and it brings glory to Jesus Christ. So let's wrestle with these questions here this morning. What is growing? What is being produced in you? And how? Two parts from here. What the gospel produces in followers of Jesus, 
and how. So what the gospel produces and followers of Jesus and how. So this is still kind of beginning-ish to Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is a thanksgiving, very typical for Paul's letters. It starts in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And Paul very quickly focuses it on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And to verse 5 and to 6. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. That's the center. It forms everything. It gives us a deep sense of purpose. And we're going to go through and unpack again a little bit of what the gospel is doing in the midst of the Colossian church. And then we're going to compare that to some brand X's. So interesting, when David began the service in his prayer of invocation, he mentioned faith, charity, and hope. That's a reference to 1 Corinthians, another letter of Paul's, chapter 13, which is read a lot in weddings, and the modern translations have faith, hope, and love. That's a very typical Pauline triad, and we have it here as well. What is the gospel producing in the midst of the Colossian church? Faith, hope, and love. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope you have laid up for you in heaven. Let's go through these things. Faith in Jesus Christ. A few of you I've referenced before the old Joss Whedon TV series and also movie Firefly. There is a clerical shepherd type character, a shepherd pastor named Shepherd Book. And I really like the character. But he let me down at one point. There's a climactic moment, I forget if his, this is in the show or in the movie, where Book has been trying to witness to whatever his faith system was at different points to this other character. And at a key moment, Shepherd Book says, I don't care what you believe, just believe it. And a Christian pastor should never actually say that. We do care what you believe. Because as we go into the world of the scriptures, Real biblical faith is not belief in anything you want, but it's very specifically belief in Jesus Christ. That, that's crucial. And I don't care what you believe, just believe it. Has the ring of truth, and it makes sense in our cultural moment, but just think about what that means. Scratch and sniff that a little bit more. I don't care what you believe, just believe it. That doesn't make any sense. So we need to deconstruct kind of what's going on there a little bit more. But faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus crucified and resurrected, which gives us forgiveness of sins by believing in his person and his work. And then also it gives us new life and it grants us so much. Later on, as we unpack what that faith is and what that Jesus is, he talks about grace and truth. End of verse 6. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, the Apostle John in his gospel in the introduction says the law came through Moses, but do you know what we got through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Where else do we find both? And you know what? We need it. If it's all truth and no grace, it's like this is where you're right, this is where you're wrong, and where you're wrong, I'm sorry. You're just wrong and bad. But if it's all grace and no truth, then do whatever you want. I'm sure it's awesome. Yes, 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 yes. If you're somebody who's struggling with Christian faith one way or another, skeptical or not sure where you are with some of these things, think about it this way. Isn't a lot of the self-talk that we hear, or if you're a committed Christian, 
a lot of the negative voices and self-talk, sometimes it's inside of us, it can be stuff like, I'm a horrible person. I'm worthless. There's nothing good about me at all. Do you know what that voice is? That's all truth and no grace. You just see where you're wrong or where you're messing up. You need more grace in your life, and you find it in Jesus. But then that voice that only says, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. I've never done anything wrong. Everybody else is always wrong. I am always right because this little prince or princess is always awesome. You need some truth because we're not all that. And it's Jesus crucified and resurrected that gives and balances both for us all the way through. So faith, and then we also have hope. We have this love and we have this faith, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's the ground, that's the cause. On your good days and on your bad days. When you're being pulled this way, when you're being pulled that way. When you're asking the question, who am I? I am, am I this or am I that? You can come back to the reality again as we've been singing, I'm a child of God. In Jesus Christ, that's who I am. And the great thing about being a child of God is that there is a hope that's laid up for you in heaven. And we're determined not by our past, as rough as it may have been, not by our present, as tenuous as it may be, but by a certain hope in a future. That's where we're going. A more dependable future that gives us a more dependable present because of Jesus. And then also love. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints, love that Jesus gives us is deeply disruptive. It's deeply disruptive. Look at how in verse 7 we have Epaphras, who's called a beloved fellow servant. Epaphras, beloved. We're going to go a little bit into the original language here. This was written in ancient Greek. Agapetos is this word for beloved. And at least a couple of you know in ancient Greek, there are different kinds of love. The deepest kind is agape, agape. That's the deep love that God has for his children in Jesus Christ. So when Epaphras is called beloved here, agape tos, that's the adjective form, this Epaphras is not just anybody. It's not just loved a little bit. It's not just, he's all right. It's we love this guy. We are bound to this guy. That's the love of Christians in action to one another, and it is deep, and it is profound, and it is action-oriented. Not only beloved, but then also fellow servant, sundalos. And that doulos is in the world, the word world for enslavement. And if you were going to call anybody else uh, slave, an enslaved person, that, that, that's derogatory. That was the lowest rung on the ladder in the ancient world, as it is today as well. Nobody would want to label themselves or label somebody who's not an enslaved person that way. But Paul is using a word that has a very bad reputation, and it's something like this. The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected turns everything on its head so much that I can take a term that's usually one of derogation and give it this new redemptive meaning 
and say, we are not enslaved to this bad thing, but we are bondservants of the best thing, the best person, the best news in the entire world. And as fellow bondservants, we are in this together. And the love of Jesus Christ, as we're called that it would issue forth from us, it means something. It means, among other things, presence and advocacy and protection and care and commitment. It's not just, I think well of you. I have benign thoughts about you as this other person. It's benign, benevolent, benevolent actions where I am showing up. I am there across lots of different social categories that are pretty structurally like stratified, whether ancient world or modern world. And as I think about love in today's culture, across a lot of different ideologies, love is becoming more and more tribalized. These are the people that you should love. These are the people that you should cancel. And if you love people that are in that bad group and are in community and relationship with them, that actually makes you look really bad. And you're going to register social tension with other people because of that. The love of Jesus Christ blows all of that up and says you are to be promiscuous, profligate in this kind of love, where you treat all of these different sorts of people, brothers and sisters, that would normally be grouped as good guys and bad guys. I'm not just loving the good people of my own tribe, however that would be defined. I am called to love absolutely everybody, 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 everybody. So faith, hope, and love, that's what the gospel is producing. Briefly, let's look at some brand X's. What else are we using as ground motives in this cultural moment where, yeah, I'm going to try to live this out instead? Just a few could pick 20 million, but I'll, I'll give three quick hits. What am I about? Well, I just want to be a good person. Fair enough. And that's not the worst thing in the world. I'd, I'd rather a friend of mine who's not a follower of Jesus say, I just want to be a good person as opposed to I want to be an axe murderer. So... Good job by you. Want to be a good person? For starters, according to whom? Because there are a lot of different definitions out there. It doesn't solve the question. It raises more than it answers. But then also, I want to be a good person. Okay, are you going to measure up or not? And there's either going to be no correction or no forgiveness. Okay, you need grace and truth if you're going to be a good person or else you're going to be prideful or crushed by it. I want to be a good person. Or instead, well, I just don't want to hurt anybody. Good. That's better than hurting other people. But then at the same time is, I just don't want to be a person of harm. That's not going to push you. I mean, it might restrain you in some ways, but it's not going to cause you, call you to love across boundaries, to love at sacrifice, to love at lack of safety, to love when it's difficult for you, not when it's easy. We need more than that. Or last brand X, well, I just have a hope that things are going to work out okay. Or another species of that would be, everything happens for a reason. It's going to be just fine. Biblical hope, as we go into the world of the scriptures, is a convictional hope. We have faith that this will happen, as opposed to a mere pipe dream aspirational hope. And let me tell you, one is a lot more durable than the other. I'm continuing to work slowly through Giacomo Leopardi, writing in the early 1800s, a very grumpy Italian, talking about, and not a person of faith, but saying, 
the world is becoming just very fluffy and uh, doesn't make any sense anymore. I wish I was living in ancient Rome, sort of, sort of that kind of guy. This quote is at uh, reflection quotes at the beginning of the worship folder. And the target here is 19th century romanticism, where if you see a pretty sunset, you think, I am invincible, I'm going to live forever, and everything's going to be awesome all the time. Leopardi asks, how do the ignorant differ from the wise? And he's a hardcore rationalist in their hopefulness. How do you tell a dumb person? Somebody that looks at the meanness of the world and says, I have a lot of hope that things are going to work out well. And if I had a relationship with Leopardi, I'd say, I agree with your negative assessment, but the good news in Jesus Christ is that there is a better hope out there for you so that we can actually live for flourishing as opposed to bouncing back and forth between being crushed by the meanness of the world and not caring about it at all. Those are our two default settings that we toggle back and forth between Jesus frees us from either of those. And so if things like, I just want to be a good person, I don't want to cause harm, things are going to work out okay, all of those things are relatively benign, but even with our better angels speaking, they are not enough. And they pale in comparison to faith, hope, and love that come to us by grace in the gospel. Now also let's talk about how it grows, what it produces in us, and how it grows. Well, it grows by bearing fruit and increasing in us, and then it grows by the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit and increasing, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you heard, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. The good news of Jesus is growing in you. It is flowering, it is flourishing, it is increasing. That's intensively. Christians should always have growth goals because that's God's plan for you, that's God's plan for me. Again, on our good days and bad days, when things are going great, when things are going hard, when we have a ton of bandwidth, when we have very little, how are we growing, how are we changing? What's your fall project? As things get a little busier, as we focus on where do I need to spend my time and energy because it's not unlimited? If you name the name of Jesus, is Jesus there as a growth goal, as a fall project, so that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, can truly be growing in you and around you? Beginning of verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world as it is bearing fruit. Paul says to the Colossian church, Jesus is growing in the whole world. And you might be thinking, okay, that might be a little of hyperbole, and it is rhetorical hyperbole. It was not in the first century growing in the whole world. That's not what was going on yet. But call it prophetic hyperbole at the same time, because that's where it's gone. And what do you know? Last Sunday, Kathy Santavanias was talking to us about here in Collingswood, New Jersey, which many consider to be the center of the universe. It's not necessarily that. But talking from here about how the gospel has gone forward and taken deep root in southern Africa and Eswatini and all around the world. And one of the things that confirms the truth of Jesus Christ to me is the growth of the church around the world. Now, this is a both and. Has the church done a lot of bad things? Yes. Should we own them? Yes. Should we repent of those things? Yes. And... Look at how the church has grown. Aha, you might say, well, history is written by the winners, 
and it's kind of nice for any religion to have the Roman emperor behind you, or the Middle Ages, the Holy Roman Empire, etc. I'd say touche. But it's also the case that the church around the world and throughout the ages has been at its best when it's been separated from power. And that's true to this very day. And I think that's unique among world religions and among worldviews and philosophies where the church of Jesus Christ has not needed power and the sword to grow. And in fact, flourishing Christianity has been hindered by those same things. But look around the world today where the gospel is being pressed down, that's where it's running. Where men and women, boys and girls around, this world, around the world to this very day, by the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and our hearts, saying, I need a savior. At the end of the day, I need a savior. Jesus, I need you. And we should be taking those steps ourselves. I need a savior. This is where I'm doubling down. And this is where, where we wrap up. How's the gospel growing? By the Spirit. That's where Paul ends here. And has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Whether it's love or faith or hope or anything else, those are Spirit-derived, Spirit-impulse motives within us. Hey, if I need to love other people, and that takes commitment and advocacy and presence and showing up, that's really hard. You know what? It is. But God gives you his Holy Spirit. And if you're like, I have no idea, and in the name of Jesus, but I don't know what the Holy Spirit actually does in my life, ask God, ask other people, ask me. Because when you're in good step with the Spirit by Jesus Christ, the twin motive of should I show up, should I love when it hurts, our sinful nature says, not today, what's on Netflix, but there's a different impulse in you that says, not only do I know that I should do this, and this is a small miracle, I kind of want to. Not because I want the accolades or the praise for it, but God is stirring up in my life and in my heart so that I can take this step that I wouldn't otherwise take. And if it's not there, stay there and ask God for it. The Apostle says in a different place in his letter to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's all of it. For it's God at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And if we live in step with that spirit, we're not adding negative value. We're not wasting the carbon, the life, the breath that God has given to us. We're flourishing, as he's called us to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.